Welcome to the Electric Wire podcast. We bring you news and views on the most pressing issues facing Wisconsin's electric industry from policymakers, executives, and customer and environmental advocates. Bringing you these discussions, we are the Customers First Coalition. Here's your host, Executive Director Kristen Jilks. I could not be more excited to welcome my co-host today. I am Kristen Jilks, and I am joined by Jennifer Schilling from Dairyland Power Cooperative. Welcome, Jen. Hi, Kristen. What a great opportunity. I'm looking forward to, to the podcast today as well. Well, thank you for joining. You were last on the podcast right as you were getting started at Dairyland. That was over a year ago, and we had you and Brian Rude talking about wind issues and, and how far the company has come on renewables, which I think is a good segue into what we're talking about with Denise today. We're talking about the recently passed bipartisan infrastructure framework. This has been passed by Congress and signed into law by the president. And among other things, there are a lot of energy provisions included in this bill. So we are joined today by our special guest, Denise Bodie of Michael Best Strategies, who's going to really walk us through what all this bill contains as far as energy issues. Jen, did you have any issues that stuck out to you in particular that the company has been following throughout this process? Well, certainly the, the legislation, both, both bills, um, the infrastructure bill, as well as the Build Back Better really is a generational um, in funding levels and transformational as far as infrastructure. So, so we at Dairyland are certainly looking at some of the transformational um, funding investments that, they, that, the, that these bills will be making with uh, battery storage, with broadband, middle mile, with incentives for renewables, that it really is an exciting time that uh, there was some significant investments made in cyber uh, grid security. So I think there are a lot of things in here for utilities, but also uh, for, for the public with infrastructure, with electric vehicles and, and other things. Excellent. Well, we are going to welcome now our special guest, Denise Bodie. Denise leads the federal policy practice at Michael Best Strategies with over 30 years of experience in trade association and coalition management, as well as development of public policy strategies, both at the state and federal level. And Denise is joining us today from Washington, D.C. So we'll turn it over now to our interview with Denise. Yeah. Well, welcome, Denise, to the Electric Wire. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here. All right, Denise, um, tell us about the path you took to get to Michael Best and where you're at today and what your role includes at Michael Best. Great. Well, it's it's been a wonderful uh, journey. Um, I uh, started off, uh, grew up in a small town in eastern Oklahoma. My dad was a tax counsel to a major oil company, Phillips Petroleum. So, and my mom was an accountant. So I, I'm kind of got a tax and, and, and accounting numbers background from my folks, um, but um, actually ended up uh, really thinking I was going to go into a completely different path, but um, met a, um, a young man running for governor, David Boren, and, you know, just really um, enjoyed hearing him talk about politics and, and what he planned to do for the state. So, uh, went, you know, helped him out. I was chair of student Congress, by the way, at the University of Oklahoma. And my husband was a student body president, not married at that point. We were just uh, colleagues. 
And we started working for his campaign and ended up, uh, he won, um, the youngest governor in the United States at the time. And uh, we both went to work for him. So um, that really was my start in, in, in working in politics. Um, I've always wanted to be a lawyer though. So um, following in my dad's footsteps. Um, worked there, um, did energy policy, energy and water policy in particular, um, worked in the Senate. Um, when he ran, well, he, he ran and went to the U.S. Senate. So I, my husband and I, by that time, were married and moved to Washington with him and ended up going um, on the Senate Finance Committee, which is the tax writing committee of the Senate with him and worked there for six years in the U.S. Senate. Um, then did a whole lot of things in the energy space. Um, I was a partner uh, uh, twice in two different um, firms. I started off uh, at Golden Leaven Good, was recruited to be the CEO of the Independent Petroleum Association of America. And then finally, um, uh, where we did a lot of major energy policy during those, uh, those years, um, was recruited to come back and be uh, fill a vacancy on the state commission in Oklahoma. So I regulated all energy and utilities, um, transportation, uh, in Oklahoma for 10 years. I was a chairman of the commission and a statewide elected twice, then came back and was CEO of the American Wind Energy Foundation, uh, American Wind, uh, Wind Energy Association and the Clean Skies Foundation. Uh, so um, poster child for change. I worked both for the oil and gas industry as well as uh, the leading uh, renewable trade association. And then finally went back into practice because I really like problem solving. So this for me is always the greatest joy. So that's how I ended up at Michael Best um, is leading the federal policy practice and trying to use um, those many years of experience and uh, helping clients. But it, you know, my great love always is energy. So you've gotten me on my favorite topic. And as you know, because I've been in this business for 30 years, I know where a lot of bodies are buried. So uh, <laughs> it'll be fun talking about this legislation we're working on now because it's got so much energy in it across the board. And we heard this isn't the first energy podcast you've ever done either. You've got no, no, no. Um, actually, I started my own um, uh, kind of energy news called Energy Matters. And in fact, at Michael Best, we still do a weekly uh, newsletter that focuses on energy that I send out to a number of people. But when I was on the, the commission, the uh, top uh, uh, talk radio uh, program in in uh, Oklahoma had me on um, every day doing uh, a, a, about a 60, uh, one minute uh, energy matters. And so I would talk about some new fun thing going on in energy and then give them a little update on what the, um, what uh, energy prices, uh, gasoline prices, and you know, what was a trend um, going on in, in the energy and uh, utility space. Very cool. Well, a great dynamic uh, kind of history here in the past and the front row seat that you've had on energy policy. It's a great segue into uh, what's happening currently out in Washington, D.C. And Denise, really throughout your career, you have seen some landmark pieces of energy legislation pass. Uh, where does the, the most recent bipartisan infrastructure uh, deal rank in that, in that list? Well, you know, it's it's interesting because I think it because this bill um, is not only a traditional energy infrastructure bill, and, and normally you have a transportation uh, bill every year that addresses transportation infrastructure and 
you know, then we'll focus on, you know, your energy incentives, which usually is in a tax bill that has that. This is like um, amazing because not only are we dealing with how we can incent us to come out of this pandemic, because we haven't worked on rebuilding our roads and bridges for a long time, but also we're trying to, um, we're trying to uh, address, um, you know, uh, global climate change is as well as part of this effort. And that means hardening our facilities. It means making sure our, our grid's working. If we're gonna have a diversified energy base, it means we've gotta have you know better transmission, not just highways, but trans, the transmission highways like electric highways. Mm -hmm. And all of it is old, all of it is old, all of it needs to be repaired. And this legislation that amazingly in this time, ended up being bipartisan on the House and Senate side that passed the bipartisan infrastructure framework addresses a lot of these issues. Um, and that is gonna be, um, that is gonna be very, very important for everyone among us, you know, from the, the folks that are worried about their utility bills every day, as well as about the folks who are really concerned about, well, what's our, what's our climate future gonna be and what should we be doing with our bills? So I would rank this as one of the most significant pieces of, of legislation, not only this bill, but the one that they're still working on is interesting because it is included, it, it, this, the, the, the bipartisan bill does not include a tax title. That one that's being worked on right now, the Build Back Better bill, which is more of a human infrastructure bill focusing on jobs and employment and, and what our, our, our base is gonna look like in the future and incentivizing that apprenticeship and all that. But it also focuses on incenting, providing you know, a carrot for all these new um, uh, technologies that are, 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 are gonna be needed, um, battery storage, you know, hydrogen, um, new engines, all that. So, I, you know, comprehensively, I've never worked on energy, any energy legislation that's this comprehensive, uh, if you include both the pieces of legislation that Congress uh, is working on. Well, as you mentioned, the many components of both of these pieces of legislation, pretty significant. How do you track legislation of this scope? There are just so many pieces to keep track of, so many moving, right. moving pieces. Well, let's talk about let's talk about <clears throat> probably some of the most important provisions in the BIF, <clears throat> and that is the one that's actually been passed and signed, and it's bipartisan. Mm -hmm. So that's and that that just occurred, you know, in the last two or three weeks. Um, that one is interesting in that there is a huge energy title in it, and it, it does things like really um, make uh, possible and and support the build out of our interstate uh, transmission grid. And that's important because you really can't have renewables if you don't have a real, you know, hardened, you know, modern transmission grid. And that transmission grid also translates to in the legislation in that there's a lot of emphasis on, 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 uh, on, on internet and broadband uh, access in low income areas and rural areas. Um, just making sure everyone's online. And, and after the pandemic, we've all learned how much we need 
you know, the access to the internet when we're all remote. And so it really highlighted a problem. So the two I see is linked because, you know, as, as, as all, all utilities, you know, um, are, are kind of working together on this stuff, the electric grid and the, um, the internet and the telecom and the fiber, you know, they tend to, they tend to be, um, they tend to be closely aligned. And so those are very, those are highly emphasized and funded in um, the uh, BIF bill. So I would say that's some of the most important um, things, you know, grid reliability and resilience is huge. And I keep talking about this grid investment because this is the most, this is the, the major grid changes. And I had the opportunity to work on, on these issues um, uh, in this legislation. And so I would just say, I think it's one of the most important things. I think the other thing is that it really um, focuses on um, alternative fueling infrastructure. You know, um, when I first started really working in looking at renewables and alternative fuels, um, you all may be too young for this, but Arnold Schwarzenegger was governor of California and he built what he called the hydrogen highway in California. And it was fueling stations that could help fuel these new hydrogen fuel cell engines. And that was, you know, the first real, you know, more comprehensive attempt to try to build this out. Well, this legislation provides, you know, sort of this hydrogen highway concept on the interstates across the country. It is the first major step I've seen to try to really move the ball forward on that. And it's really important because, you know, a lot of the a lot of the, we talk about having electric vehicles. Well, for the very large, you know, interstate trucks and, and you know, huge vehicles, you know, it, the battery storage piece of that's still really a problem because it's so heavy. So it has an impact. So really a lot of the, uh, the OEMs are working on fuel cell engines that can use hydrogen, whether it be green hydrogen or whether it can be hydrogen from natural gas, whatever it might come from, but those fuel cell engines are much lighter and can really work to have, you know, a, your electric engines, but um, they, they, they are really what a lot of the bets are being placed on. And so you've got to have that fueling infrastructure though. Mm -hmm. And so that's what this bill does. And that is a sea change. So I would say those things to me, in terms of the energy um, uh, infrastructure piece are really the top pieces that I, I really look at at changing all our lives. I mean, this will change all our lives. So <clears throat> you've mentioned hydrogen a couple times now, which is not exactly what I was expecting because you don't hear that much about hydrogen on the news or you know when you're just hearing about this bill in general. Do you think that some of that hydrogen infrastructure is going to be what Wisconsinites might see first coming from this bill? Um, you know, I, I guess what's really what's really interesting to me is how do you how do you basically democratize our infrastructure? Really have it so everybody you know the, you know can have. Uh, an electric vehicle, you know, or move towards an electric vehicle, you have got to have that infrastructure, you know, and buildings and a lot of the electric utilities, I know, particularly in Wisconsin are really focused on providing that kind of infrastructure, but you got to have it at the, at the interstate, you mm -hmm. know, your typical gas station. 
those, you know, you have to have incentives for those folks to add that to their infrastructure because that's where people normally go. You know, you can do it at home through the, 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 the um, new equipment, but a lot of people can't afford that at home or maybe at the office. So a lot of office buildings are, are basically reconstructing, but the incentives for all those kind of things are gonna be critical to allow people to, to do it. So you're gonna see it all over the place. But the fuel cell piece of it is interesting because it is not just a like a your typical Prius, which is, you know, it is a battery engine that has to be recharged, you know, and has batteries um, that are stored. This is an engine that basically um, the electricity is being generated from a variety of different sources and the hydrogen, um, which has zero emissions is gonna come from a variety of sources. And so having that, um, that, that, that hydrogen infrastructure at your gas station, your traditional gas station is gonna be how you and me will really start seeing it. Or like in my office building already um, here in Washington, DC, I have special parking places that you park in if you got an electric vehicle to charge it while you're there at work. And you're gonna start seeing more of that kind of stuff. Well, Denise, as you talk about some of the grid investment and certainly in rural uh, Wisconsin, rural America, uh, we'll certainly see some of that infrastructure that is needed uh, for transmission lines because in some of these rural areas, we're seeing more wind and solar development. Do we need to move that energy? Can you tell us a little bit about what's uh, in this and what you see for uh, rural residents and what this means to them as far as um, as, as energy availability or even for workers, what this means for a workforce and potential jobs? Yep. Well, you know, I think one thing that's really, one thing that's really interesting in the, um, the BIF um, is that there is all sorts of other provisions that we're more familiar with. Mm -hmm. um, and there is a dramatic increase in funding like the weatherization assistance program. That is something that has got huge funding in the program. And that really helps everyone, lower income, rural folks, um, you know, because they tend to carry the largest burden of energy costs, you know, spending typically 14% of their total income versus others that spend maybe 3%. So that's going to be really important, you know, as we all, as we're trying to address our energy costs as well. And so I think that one, that one thing is going to be really important, you know, and I think uh, one of the other things that is going to be really interesting, and this is really included in this bill they're still working on, is that they're placing in all the funding and all the incentive programs um, opportunities for apprenticeships. Mm -hmm. So in order to get the tax credit, you know, and as I mentioned, the tax credit piece is in this second bill. So if you want to get a tax credit for wind, you want to get a tax credit, all of the different programs, it really is incentivizing a whole new workforce mm -hmm. that can work in these new areas, these new market opportunities. And it is saying that you have to have an apprenticeship program to train people to, to work in the industry. It also has prevailing wage requirements throughout the bill. So those two, those two provisions in particular 
or our uniform in the second bill and they support the work that was being done in, 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 in the first bill. So those are things I think would really be important. And, and for Wisconsin in particular, there's a lot of really interesting things that um, folks from Wisconsin to see right away um, uh, that are in the BIF Act. You know, there's, you know, electric vehicle charging stations right away you'll be seeing, you know, I think there's over uh, $80 million that has been you know, over the next five years directly to Wisconsin for those charging infrastructure. Um, and in fact, overall, Wisconsin ought to be eligible for over $2.5 in total grant funding to invest in the vehicle charging infrastructure. Um, and then also, um, there, uh, Wisconsin, you know, again, I told you this is a traditional infrastructure highway bill. Uh, Wisconsin's allocation is $5.2 billion. Um, federal aid highway programs and and 225 million for bridge replacements. So you're gonna see a a works program out there, like you know, with the signs up on the highway, this bridge being repaired, this highway. You're gonna see finally after a big hiatus, money being and it's passed. It's not there's not betting on any in the future. This is passed. You're gonna start seeing that happening. Um, and I guess one other thing is the public transportation options. Um, Wisconsin's also going to receive, you know, over half a billion dollars um, on the public transportation options, which I think is going to be really critical and important for people to get back to work, you know, having better, you know, um, more effective. So those things I think you're going to see direct impacts. Well, in keeping with the rural uh, lens, obviously the last couple of years, the digital divide was exasperated or exacerbated during um, COVID. Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, the internet and the investment for broadband, but specifically middle mile that I work for a co-op, a rural electric co-op, and uh, we're really looking at that space of filling for middle mile as our distribution co-ops continue with uh, broadband to homes and businesses. You know, I mean, you know, and, and, and pardon me for, for I want to answer the question, but pardon me, because I'm really interested in how you all are looking at that, because, you know, part of the discussion has been, you know, do we want to lay fiber to the house? Or do we want to develop a wireless infrastructure that is, it is, is nearby, that is targeted towards these areas, you know, that, that, you know, part of the problem for, for, um, you know, and, 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 and as, as you may have known, I was a telecom regulator. I, uh, Oklahoma was second state in the country got deregulated because in telecom, because we wanted money going to the cell and telecom new infrastructure. We didn't want it based, you know, money being spent on landlines nobody was using. Mm -hmm. So, so it interests me how you all are looking at that uh, and in trying to solve the broadband issue in Wisconsin and how you particularly uh, are looking at that. Well, at Dairyland, uh, Dairyland Power Cooperative, we're a generation and transmission cooperative. So we're the only sure. one in, in the state with 24 members in a four state area, uh, most of sure. them here in Wisconsin, uh, in Minnesota, Illinois, and Iowa. So it really is, uh, we are looking at, we own the lines. And so for our own internal use of data, but then also working with our distribution co-ops as they are looking to get into that space. Some are uh, deciding to pursue that, others are not, but I think they're really looking at it. Um, each co-op is different as far as how they are looking at pursuing that, that broadband connectivity for their members. 
Oh, very interesting. Well, that was that's really helpful to me. Um, the Build Back Better bill is all over the broadband. I mm -hmm. mean, that is where you're going to have billions of dollars of investment allocated um, across the country. Um, and, you know, it's interesting that you said, you know, that you're not only electric transmission, but you're very interested in, in, in having that tied together because that's exactly what they're doing in terms of looking at, you know, the opportunities and all this investment in the smart grid and the matching programs and the reliability um, and, and all of that um, was geared towards um, folks that want to do both, you know, that the grid, you develop the grid and, and most of the, the grid development that's being done for renewables is in rural America. Mm -hmm. And so you've got this electric transmission grid being built out, but utilize that build out of the grid to build out the high speed internet and internet access in rural America. And that is exactly what they focused on in in both the bill that's passed and there's going to be billions of dollars being focused on that um, in the um, the build back better bill. Mm -hmm. So I think you're going to see, I mean, there that is probably one of the most important areas outside the traditional energy area that you're going to see uh, come out of both these bills. It's mm -hmm. really interest, uh, interested in the $1 billion grant for middle mile uh, providers and typically yeah. some criteria we aren't, uh, you know, co-ops may not be, a and t may not be eligible for, but to specifically see a billion dollars carved out for um, for that middle mile is certainly uh, unique and we're, we're interested in that and glad to see kind of that connecting pieces included in this infrastructure bill. Exactly. No, no, that, no, you, you're exactly right. And, you know, the thing about it is that you know, we've always just kind of touched around the edges on connectivity. And I think finally, people having lived through the, the COVID actually have understood now what needs to be done and where you've got the, where you've got the gaps. Yeah. And I think that the gap you pointed out is really um, a huge one and has not been addressed, I think, at all until this, this legislation is being considered. Yep. So you were talking a little bit about reliability and some of the smart grid investments made possible under this package. Do you think, uh, I, have, I have a two-part question. First okay. of all, how are those going to be implemented? Like, where does the money flow um, there? Does it flow to the utilities or to the states? How is that being implemented? And then the other question is, is you know, there are also a number of electrification provisions in this bill, and we can take some time to talk more about those. But I want to make sure that as we're increasing our reliance on electricity, that there is going to be enough power um, and enough reliable power to do everything we want to do with it. In the BIF bill, that is really part of the effort that was done um, was grid reliability and resilience. I mean, that, that was, a, and, and, and the funding, um, you know, and, and, and a focus on improving the transmission storage and distribution, you know, so that's the last mile. You know, that is really the last mile to the to the home or the business. And the fact that they're actually focusing on that and in support of our local utilities, um, you know, uh, and the management of that uh, at the state level, I think is gonna be really critical. And, and that's part of what um, they are actually doing. 
Um, you know, the states um, are, like I said, the states are granted quite a bit, you know, in terms of eligibility that they will be passing on um, to folks who apply for it, you know, through the states. So I think it is not going to be a federal federal top down, it's going to go to the states so the states know what they need and they know their utilities and others. And so I, I, it will be a it will be a program that will be focused at the state level um, and not at the federal level, which is exactly the way it should be. Um, so I, I think that it's going to be um, uh, a very interesting uh, piece of legislation, um, you know, because I think uh, this is something that in the past, having been a state regulator, um, you know, this kind of work has always been done by us through rate cases. And, you know, by giving a rate of return on capital investment was the way we did it. Now, this new effort, um, which is going to have the federal government providing support for that is going to be it's going to be interesting to see how this actually flows down and is administered. Um, so um, I think the, the state regulators are going to play a big role, though, in that. Um, and I know NARUC, you know, which is the National Association of uh, Regulated Utility Commissioners, um, is, has been playing a big role in talking to Congress about how that should be handled, because you want to make sure that folks that are making these investments, you know, um, that ratepayers aren't paying for 100% of it. And I think this is about making sure that, um, that all of us share in those um, positive changes. Now, you know, what was in this, the Build Back Better bill initially, was a huge uh, plan, a clean energy plan that the Energy and Commerce Committee was promoting that would have um, incentivized electric utilities to have zero emissions and to really upgrade their facilities. But then it also penalized um, those utilities that weren't um, keeping up with moving towards you know, clean energy um, program. And so uh, one of the things that, um, and, and as I mentioned that, you know, that it wasn't a sure thing the second bill is gonna be passed because some of the politics here have been that the moderate Democrats, cause it's the Build Back Better bill is really only being focused on by the Democrats in the House and Senate. And in the Senate, it's a 50-50 margin, 50 Republicans, 50 Democrats. In the House, it's a four vote margin. So if you don't have 100% pretty much of your Ds on both sides, you don't have a bill because you can't pass a bill, you know, even through reconciliation without 51% um, at least. So what's happened is that Democrats in the Senate um, that are, that are, that are more moderate um, and that are energy state Democrats have been very unhappy with um, with what they feel like is 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 too quickly um, throwing the coal industry under the bus, and that would be um, Senator Manchin from West Virginia, um, because he believes there should be incentives for the coal industry to dramatically cut their emissions through carbon sequestration and other means. And of course, those tax incentives are in the second bill, but um, the clean power plan that um, they were working on or clean energy plan for utilities they were working on in the house um, would have been one step further 
in terms of a hammer or um, an incentive um, through uh, direct payments to mm -hmm. utilities or that were taken from people from utilities that weren't um, following along. And so that that whole that whole plan that was worked on in the Energy and Commerce Committee was dropped. Well, and I so, think with the failure of the clean energy program to kind of get some momentum, um, there were some concerns with that, certainly in the um, sure. utility world. Um, and with that really not being viable in the Senate, that certainly opens up a lot of money that was identified for that to maybe go into some other incentive programs and to other clean energy uh, and renewable energy programs and, and tax credits. And so that certainly has been one that utilities and the rural electric co-ops have been watching that SEP program as it kind of came through the house and now over yeah. in the Senate. Yeah. And, you know, as I said, it was also something that the, the moderate Democrats on the house didn't like uh, that plan either. So, um, and, and I go, you know, this plan that again, going back to the second one that hasn't passed um, the first plan uh, that was signed was about 1.5 trillion in cost. Um, and then the second plan uh, that uh, we're talking about now started out at about three trillion as proposed by the president. And now, because again, people are very concerned about inflation and the cost of such another big plan after all the COVID money that went in last year and then the beginning of this year and the 1.5 trillion, they, they decided to scale it back. And so the second bill now is more the size of the first bill um, if you don't, um, if you don't include uh, some of the the tax incentives, so so there's a there's a and in fact everybody's on pins and needles, you know, because the Congressional Budget Office has been scoring these provisions, and they didn't get a very good score, and so they may have to cut back a little bit more, but. Um, but there, there's a whole tax package, as I mentioned, of very strong incentives that really encourage everyone to do all this stuff. But to pay for it, they're doing uh, increases on wealthy uh, Americans um, above, you know, um, five million and ten million, and so on and so forth. And those numbers are changing depending on how much money they need. Um, but they aren't increasing the corporate income tax rate or the personal income tax rate for everyone else. Um, they aren't impacting capital gains. They are not impacting estate and gift tax plans. So those things were all dropped because the moderate Democrats said, we aren't gonna vote for that. And remember it's Democrats only deciding this because none of the Republicans are playing ball, but they are putting taxes on an alt, uh, a big corporate alternative minimum tax. That's one of the big pay fors and they are changing international tax treatment. So that's how they're paying for it, uh, paying for the rest of the bill uh, is, is through those kinds of means. And they're deciding to, to place all their bets on encouraging a lot of the infrastructure um, that really would focus on you know, the internet and other things, um, and as well as the, the green infrastructure, battery storage, et cetera, et cetera, hydrogen, mm -hmm. uh, fuel cell engines, they're, they're, they're really putting um, all of those provisions are, are gonna be incentives as opposed to sticks. So they decided they didn't wanna go through with sticks like the, the program in the Energy and Commerce Committee. They wanna try to do it through incentives and part of it's paid for in that bill, part of it's not. Yes. And so how much it's not is going to be. So that's why we have a moving target 
for the second bill and why it's taking a little longer because they not only have to negotiate with the people that support doing it, try to get a good CBO estimate, they're trying to get, you know, these, these, these moderate Democrats on the House and Senate side to say what they will vote for and what they won't vote for. And they're all different. Right. All and I think that's, that's uh, the natural push and pull of trying to govern, especially with, um, a slim majority in the House, a tied Senate, yeah. uh, and just sort of uh, what comes to the table about what is acceptable in that larger larger picture. But I think that is a, a, a great segue into, you know, the deal was bipartisan. Um, the, the first deal was bipartisan. Um, not everyone's going to be happy with it. Do you see people running on or running away from their vote on the infrastructure bill uh, in 2022 and why? Well, you know, I think... Um... On the bipartisan infrastructure bill, you know, that was really led um, on both sides, the House and Senate, by Republicans and Democrats working together. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think, you know, the, the big issue that when you think of Republicans, you know, trying that didn't vote for the bill, the one that was passed, is people are very concerned about inflation. Now, you know, I have to say over the last year or two in the prior administration, there was a lot of money being spent that wasn't being paid for. And so, um, you know, our deficit went through the roof. And then the new administration came in and they went right back at it. We had another COVID bill on a big spend. So again, deficit even higher. Um, and now with all this spending going on and not all being paid for, um, it is really taking a toll in terms of the deficit, but now we're starting to see it show up with inflation. And that is really biting people at the pocketbook um, at the grocery store, as well as at the gas pump. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a lot of folks are saying this bipartisan infrastructure bill, is going to create lots of jobs. So that is really a positive and it's going to address some of these things that, you know, um, for example, you're, you're, you're at the pump. Well, if you've got alternatives to gasoline, then you're going to have greater diversity in how you fuel your car. So that should take out some of the pressure on the cost of fuel at the pump. That's at least what's being said, you know, and discussed. Um, so the jobs and that are the things people are running on. The things that people are attacking is how big the deficit is, how that's impacting inflation, and how that's hurting people at their pocketbook um, right now. So, you know, in terms of the second bill, um, the second bill, there's a lot of pause right now on the second bill because it's, again, another trillion plus um, of spending. And there's a lot of concern that this is going to exacerbate um, the deficit and inflation and so, you know, you're now hearing Senator Manchin and others on the moderate Democrat side saying, you know, we ought to see kind of how this plays out mm -hmm. before we spend all this extra money, you know. And so it's going to be interesting to see if we if um, if uh, the leader Schumer uh, from New York uh, in the Senate and Speaker Pelosi, you know, uh, in the House can persuade the moderate Democrats to to, to, to take on more spending. Yeah. Um, on, the, on the House side, she actually lost on Friday when they voted on the infrastructure bill. She actually lost one of her key Democrats that didn't vote for it. Um, one of these moderates, um, many of them did. 
Um, but on the Senate side, it's a new ball game. And so negotiations are now beginning. They tried to re pre-negotiate everything with the, with the Senate. So house members wouldn't have to vote on something that wasn't passed. Yeah. That's what killed them several years ago in the midterm elections is the speaker forced the Democrats to take a vote on something that the Senate would not pass. And so they all, you know, were impacted at the elections. Yes. Well, as I like to say, uh, you can be sure of three things, death, taxes, and there's always another election. Exactly. Exactly right. <laughs> it really will be, though. So just for everyone listening, and I by no means consider myself an expert on federal energy policy, so this is really helpful to me. And Denise, I just want to summarize. So for people listening, the bipartisan infrastructure framework was $1.5 trillion. It's already been signed. It focused on transmission, reliability, smart grid investments, alternative fueling infrastructure and electrification, and weatherization as it relates to energy. Still to come, there is a Build Back Better plan. It started as, as a proposal of about $3 trillion. It's scaled back now to $1.5 trillion and could be scaled back further still. Um, there's some debate over whether or not we should continue to wait and see what happens first. But in that bill, as it relates to energy, um, energy storage, hydrogen incentives, and broadband tax, a big tax title no there's a the, the the and and the fact that there's a big tax title in there that impacts all energy is is critical so i think you know the first bill there wasn't a tax title this has a tax title so that means you know what's up in the air is is how it gets paid for and remember they started off by having an increase in our income tax rate both personal and corporate and capital gains and um, basically a big a big impact on farmers and and uh, retirees in that they had they had a huge um, estate tax um, uh, you know uh, increase on taxes there and all that kind of has come out but just remember when they're looking for money some of that could sneak back in so everybody's yeah. watching it like a hawk right got it thank you that was helpful let's talk for just a moment about the electrification provisions that were in the BIF. Um, there's money for electric vehicle charging stations. Maybe you could tell us more about that and why that was a priority for this administration. Well, I think that what, what was key for this administration is really to make a sea change in terms of uh, our future. Um, because obviously with the kind of reports that are out there on um, carbon emissions and, you know, our future, um, that was a promise that President Biden made is that he would not just talk the talk, but, but walk it. And, you know, so his proposal was all about a comprehensive look um, and money um, that would help uh, all of us um, at the, the smallest levels of government um, build out uh, this, this, you know, electric highway for us in particular. And also to go back to kind of what we talked about um, in the prior administration, try to, try to harden our grid and also to make it more secure against cybersecurity attacks from foreign powers. You know, so all those things had kind of gotten started 
and then, you know, um, and, 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 you know, hadn't really been investments in any of those things. Then we had COVID and we really realized mm -hmm. how much our infrastructure had failed us and continue to fail our kids, you know, and all of us who were sick and moved to telehealth. So, so from a health standpoint, a children's standpoint, and the national security standpoint, that was what was driving it. And it was a bipartisan effort because everyone felt like, you know, we need to have this build out. And, it, you know, remember our interstate highway systems and all the gasoline stations, those were built by the private sector. They, the highways were built by the federal government and the state government, but the, the fueling was built by the private sector. So how do we incentivize? How do we support at the state and local um, and interstate level? How do we support an alternative being added? You know, so first of all, putting money behind it so that the actual companies that, you know, own and expand all those those uh, fueling stations around the country, that's part of it. But, it, you know, which incentivizes the private sector to add to that. Um, but also building out something that, you know, frankly, even folks in the traditional fossil fuel industries are interested in, which is diversifying their portfolios because they see the writing on the wall that, you know, it's not just going to be a fossil fuel or oil and gas and coal economy, that it's going to be an all of the above economy. So they're looking at, okay, so if we're going to do hydrogen, don't you have to transport that hydrogen, um, you know, and ammonia and other, you know, fuels? Don't you have to transport that safely? So why can't instead of, you know, transporting natural gas or oil through those pipes, why can't you diversify and, and utilize those to get hydrogen um, to the marketplace or to use ammonia, you know, that kind of fueling? Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, it, it's created sort of an entrepreneurial boost, which I've seen, I've, I haven't seen in my lifetime, truly, the kind of big change. You know, I saw the sea change from oil to natural gas. This is a sea change for the traditional energy sector to look at, at how can hydrogen um, really changes and how can we make money off controlling emissions? So some companies are even putting in place new business sectors. Okay, we're going to go out and sequester carbon from coal. We're going to sequester carbon and, and, and others from, you know, our like these, these major, um, you know, places where they're making chemicals. And we're going to take that emissions and we're going to sequester that and we're going to really bring down emissions across the country. And so every one of these companies is creating new businesses and they're re-looking at their model. And so it, it, it is it is the most comprehensive like mind change, sea change, and how the whole energy industry, not just the alternatives or the, the renewable industry, but the traditional, you know, the, you know, the, you know, who you, we used to call the major oil companies they're all rethinking what they want their future to be like. And also because their investors are demanding it. Yeah. So um, consumers and investors. So it's a really amazing time to be alive in the energy space, to see that happening. And this legislation is driving it, um, you know, and that's why it's so critical because, you know, you know sometimes it takes a, a you know, a, a carrot to get people to move down the, the pike 
towards, you know, greater electrification. I mean, we can't have, you know, all these electric vehicles on the roads and we can't have better, um, more zero emissions if we don't redo our grid, both, you know, at the last mile as well as, you know, your, you know, your um, interstate um, transmission highways. So, Well, thank you you so much. This is really, uh, you know, your knowledge, I think this demonstrates this is really transformational public policy that is happening right now um, and a lot of interest in it. And so I thank you very much for your insight. And I want to make sure that we always, Kristen always has a great kind of signature question at the end that we like to add, uh, ask the guests to the last question I ask all of our guests is if you had all the power in the industry what would you do with it? What would you do first? I, I think what is really critical is to get our interstate, interstate transmission grid built out. I think that's the most important thing that can be done right now because everything else relies on that, is the ability to move power um, and, and also to help the least among us. So probably that. Thank you, Denise. It was lovely having you on. I learned a lot and I really appreciate you joining. Always a joy to be with you. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. Please support our work. You can subscribe to the Electric Wire podcast if you haven't already, and you can follow us on Twitter at The Electric Wire. Thanks also to the members of the Customers First Coalition for supporting this podcast. Our members are Dairyland Power Cooperative, Madison Gas and Electric, the Municipal Electric Utilities of Wisconsin, WPPI Energy, Renew Wisconsin, the Citizens Utility Board, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 2150, and the Wisconsin Electric Cooperatives Association. Thanks again for listening. We'll have a new episode next month.